0: And now this afternoon, I'd invite you to turn with me to Paul's epistle to the Romans, Romans chapter 3. I'm going to do something a little bit different this afternoon in that I really want to be as practical as I possibly can in the area of soul winning. Telling others about Jesus. How do you do it? What do you tell them? It seems like at times we don't have a plan or we become tongue-tied. or We're so um, convinced that we would be so ineffective to make any kind of attempt to give any kind of a word for Christ that we more or less just hold our tongues and hope that our conduct doesn't bring reproach to Christ. Um well, we need to be able to speak out, and it does help to have a plan. So what I'm going to do today, and this is the simplest plan that uh, is probably in existence. Perhaps you've heard of it. Are you familiar with the Romans Road? Let me see. Show of hands. Anybody? Romans Road? Some know it. few may not. We're going to review it today. And let me encourage you to take note of these verses and commit them to memory. Have them at your disposal. Because these verses, as much as you might despise a plan, and there's something uh, uh, you know, that just kind of galls me, when it even comes to plans for, for witnessing, um, be that as it may, These verses really do take us through the essence of the gospel. So they become very valuable that way. And what I'm going to read, though I'm not going to expound it, but I'm going to read a section from Romans 3, beginning in verse 21. And we will read down to the end of the chapter. If you were to ask me, where can you find the best condensed version of the Bible I would say to you, read Paul's epistle to the Romans. For the best and most systematic treatment of the gospel, you can't do better than Romans. And if you were to press the matter further and say, well, can you break it down even further than just going through Romans? I would say, yes, if you want Romans itself condensed and and compressed more or less, into a succinct number of verses that really cover the scope of the gospel, it would be these verses we're going to read right now. Beginning in, um, well, let's see, verse 20. Let's back up to verse 20. Romans 3 and verse 20, where Paul writes, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And when you come now to verse 21 in chapter 3, this is really a turning point, a major point in Paul's argument. For the first two and a half chapters leading up to verse 21, Paul has been laboring to establish the guilt of mankind. The Jews are guilty. The Gentiles are guilty. All are guilty. He's been laboring to establish that point. And now we come to verse 21, and uh, having established that point, now the next point uh, is being established. But now, he says, verse 21, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Let me stop there just long enough to point out The righteousness of God without the law. That does not mean the righteousness of God in the absence of the law. It means the righteousness of God outside of the law, outside of trying to establish righteousness by the law. The righteousness uh, uh, without the law. And take note, if you would, that this is witnessed by the law and by the prophets. What is Paul making reference to when he says that this righteousness without the law is witnessed by the law and the prophets. Basically, it means that the Old Testament contains the gospel. Uh, There there is no uh, strong dichotomy that says Old Testament law, New Testament gospel. No, Paul is drawing from the law and the prophets to make the point that the gospel is contained in the Old Testament a single theme, okay, throughout the Bible. Uh, Verse 22, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, "...whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus." Would you note from these verses the emphasis that Paul places on righteousness? Righteousness. The gospel does not sacrifice righteousness. In a sense, it establishes righteousness. Where is boasting then? Verse 27 It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. We'll end our reading at the end of the chapter, and we know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word for his name's sake. That last verse is a good one to contemplate and a good one to know how to communicate. Do we then make void the law through faith? Well, that's what Paul was being accused of. You are saying salvation is by grace through faith. You're taking the law out of the equation. Basically, you're you're doing away with the law, Paul, and you're just turning men over to do what they please. Paul insists that is not the case, and in fact, the very opposite is the case. We don't make void the law, we establish the law. I won't go into just how we do that on this occasion, maybe that'll be a study for another occasion, but just take note of it. We do not make void the law through faith, God forbid, yea, we establish the law. Within this section of verses that we have just read, you can divide it into a number of headings by way of analysis. You can say the need for the gospel is found in these verses we have just read. Verse 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Therefore, everyone needs the gospel. So the need for the gospel is found in this very short section of uh, verses. Um, The nature of the gospel is revealed in this section of verses. And basically the nature of the gospel is that it's gracious, being justified freely by his grace. And faith is contrasted to works in this section. It's a gracious gospel, not of works, but of faith. Okay, So the need for the gospel, the nature of the gospel. You can go a step further and say the grounds upon which the gospel is based is found in these verses we've just read. Verse 25, with reference to Christ, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. So there is the grounds for the gospel. It's grounded in Christ. It's grounded in what Christ has done. We touched on propitiation this morning. I know we've touched on it many times. I hope you know by now the meaning of that word. The term propitiation makes reference to Christ bearing our condemnation. That's propitiation. And that is the grounds for our acceptance with God. Christ, the propitiation for our sins. And then we see uh, not only the need for the gospel, the nature of the gospel, the grounds of the gospel, we see also God's intended purpose behind the gospel, which is, and Paul makes this a point of emphasis, verse 25 again, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins. We are declaring his righteousness for the remission of sins. It doesn't say, does it, we're declaring his grace or his mercy or his love for the remission of sins, though you can make connections, obviously, to all of those things when it comes to the remission of sins. But the point that Paul is driving at here is that this is in keeping with God's righteousness. Okay, We declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past due to the forbearance of God. and you'll see you, you, you'll see that he repeats this. This is um, such a strong burden on his heart. He has such uh, a desire that the people he's writing to to have this point right that he repeat, repeats it verse 26. To declare, I say at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now if you take just those section of verses that we've covered, what did I start with? Verse 20? Um, well, I started in verse twenty three. You could back it up to twenty. Maybe I should have. But if you go verses twenty through twenty-six, I think you have the most condensed but comprehensive statement about the gospel of Christ that you're going to find anywhere in the New Testament. A good block of verses to commit to memory and to have at your disposal. And for that very reason, the need for salvation, the nature of salvation, the grounds for salvation, I left one out. I should have included the means to salvation, which is by faith, that's also there, and God's aim in salvation, which is to declare his righteousness. Boy, I don't know, like I say, of a more um, compact and yet comprehensive statement pertaining to the gospel in all the New Testament. So when it comes to witnessing for Christ, it's good to have verses at your disposal. Better still that you have Paul's argument at your disposal. If you can simply follow the flow of his argument and be able to explain the flow of his argument, then you are in a good position to communicate the gospel. And like I said before, we read these verses out of chapter 3. The first two and a half chapters in Romans are devoted to establishing the guilt of mankind. In a sense, that really has to be where you start in your presentation of the gospel, and by the same token, that is perhaps the most daunting challenge that we face, because that is what will um, bring you into the realm of confrontation, and controversy, if you will. Uh, confronting a sinner. With his sin. Probably the best way to do it, practically speaking, is not to um, go after the person you're talking to, to um, rail on him with fire and brimstone. You're a sinner. You're condemned. But to be able to simply communicate with him that you see yourself this way I am the sinner, I'm condemned. I know that if I had what I deserved from God, I'd be burning in hell. I don't have to take it any further than that. Now, hopefully, you will be living the kind of life that would suggest to anyone you're talking to that that couldn't possibly be true from his perspective. Um, I know you. You have integrity. You are upright. You are blameless. You follow the rules. You don't um, maliciously slander people. You haven't gone to jail. You're not committing crimes. And yet you're telling me you see yourself as a sinner condemned? And ideally that person you're talking to will say, well, if a person like so-and-so is saying that about themselves, they see themselves that way, what must it be for me before God? So there is a way to communicate to men that they are sinful, and it has to be done. Uh, The ones that skirt the issue of man's sin really are not going to effectively communicate a gospel because you're not able to tell anybody what you're being saved from. Uh, This first point on the sinfulness of man is what sets the backdrop for the gospel to function. And so it must be included. So, an easy verse. Here we are, the Romans road. Romans road number 1. Romans 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Know that verse. Memorize that verse. There are, of course, several other verses that you can add to the equation, should you so choose. For example, um, go up to verse 10 In chapter 3, and this builds on the same point, all have sinned that come short of the glory of God. If you want more detail to it, then uh, verse 10, listen to what it says. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth God, no, not one. And you can break it down, if you care to, to analyze from these verses. And you would include verses 13, 14, and 15 and following. And if you care to do an analysis there, you can say that men are sinful by the words they speak. Men are sinful by the deeds they perform. Men are sinful by the attitude they have toward God. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And you can really um, make the case for the total depravity of man right in this section of Romans. But for the sake of the Romans' wrote, keeping this as simple as we can make it, make sure that you have chapter 3 and verse 23 ready to hand, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Step two in the Romans Road, and there are variations to the Romans Road. But step two would be to show to the person you're talking to the consequences of sin. And this takes you to Romans chapter 6. Okay, Our next um, verse in the Romans Road, chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. Rather interesting to note, isn't it, that no matter who you are talking to, uh, he might be somebody that's a total stranger to you. He might be from a different culture. He may be a different race. He may be at a different social level than you are. Um, All of that notwithstanding... There is one point in which all men actually do agree. I used to make this a point of emphasis when I would go to the Wheeler Mission. This is something that nobody will deny, and it is simply this, all men die. All men die. Who would argue against that? Everybody knows that. Why is that the case? Well, Romans 6 and verse 23 explains it to you. The wages of sin is death. We receive the wages of what we deserve. All men die. The wages of sin is death. But, and this is handy to have ready to hand as well, the free gift, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that really takes you to step three. In the Romans Road, you could include Romans 6.23 in that connection, too. You want this on your list of verses ready to hand. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Emphasizing the fact that salvation is a gift. And that runs so contrary to the way the natural man thinks. Salvation a gift? No, the natural man flatters himself into thinking that uh, when my deeds are weighed on Judgment Day, my good deeds, I'm fairly confident, will outweigh my bad deeds. I do more good than I do bad, therefore I will be saved on the basis of what I've done. And I suppose if you wanted to go outside of the Roman's road, you could add that verse from James, and I don't have it ready to hand this afternoon, but the text in James that says, he that breaks a single command has broken the whole law. That's all it takes, doesn't it? I mean, you look at a man, and and this isn't hard to illustrate, uh, take a man who perhaps has committed uh, a terrible, violent murder, but he's only done it one time. (laughs) Okay? And outside of this violent murder that he committed when his temper got the best of him, I mean, outside of that, uh, he was a pretty good fellow. Showed up on time for work, did an honest day's work, uh, you know, didn't uh, create any um, problems or strife with the neighbors, got along with everybody, and paid his taxes, didn't steal, etc., etc., And yet the fact that the man has committed a murder makes him a murderer, um, everything else notwithstanding. And it's the same way with any sin. We've broken the law, we're a sinner. We've broken it. It doesn't matter what else we have done or think we have done. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. And that has to become a point of emphasis that salvation is a gift. And if you would have salvation, you have got to view it that way. You cannot earn it. You will not earn it. The good news is, you don't have to earn it. Not only could you not do it, but you don't have to do it. It comes as a gift through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'll back up at this point just to um, make reference to one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, which is chapter 5, verse 17, on the topic of salvation being a gift. Uh, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness And that's one worth underlining and highlighting and memorizing. The gift of righteousness, just as salvation is a gift, righteousness is a gift. That's the point that Paul is laboring to establish. The righteousness of Christ is a gift. When you receive Christ as your Savior, you are receiving His righteousness. It comes to you as a gift, freely given. All that's required on your part is you see your need for it. And if you're willing to admit you're a sinner, then indeed you do have need for this gift. The gift of righteousness. It's the imputed righteousness of Christ. It comes to those who see their need of it and receive it by faith, okay? So, Christ died for our sins. His death paid the full price for our salvation. Through his death and the resurrection proves that his death was effectual, our debt was paid, and salvation comes to us as a free gift. Now, next step. This takes us to chapter 5 and verse 8. And again, we're laying uh, the groundwork here for the grounds for our salvation. God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You should cross-reference that to the one I said earlier from chapter 3, verse 25. God is the propitiation for our sins. But as we are dealing now with the subject of Christ um, being the grounds for salvation, step three in our Romans road, you should have Romans 5.8 ready to hand. God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Step four, this takes us to chapter 10 in Romans. Chapter 10, this is all good news, okay? I see myself as a sinner, lost and undone. I see salvation as a gift. I see it as something that um, I stand in need of. How do I actually gain it? If I see all this and give assent to everything we've considered so far, how then does this salvation Actually, become mine. And Romans 10 and verse 9 supplies the answer to that question. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There must be Personal appropriation of salvation. It's not enough to know it, it's not enough even to agree with it. You have to personally appropriate it, and that is done by going to God himself. He's the one to whom confession needs to be made. O Lord, I believe in thy Son. I believe he is the Son of God. I believe what thy word says about him, that he came for the purpose of living for me and dying for me. I call upon thee, Lord Jesus, to save me from my sins. Thou art all my hope and peace. Thou art all my righteousness. And I do believe that thou didst die, and that thou art risen from the dead. Salvation gained through faith. Personal appropriation. Okay? Um, Verse 13, I think I added to this as well. Yep. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You have to call upon him. Not enough just to know. It's not enough even to agree. You have to call upon him for salvation to become yours. That would be perhaps um, a good and more concise text to put in your toolbox, so to speak. Uh, Chapter 10, verse 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's a fifth step that is given, which speaks to us, of what we gain as a result of calling upon God for salvation. Romans 5 and verse 1. This is one you probably know, but one that you need to have readily at hand. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the effect is peace. I have peace, where in the past I've had strife and turmoil, um, the burden of guilt weighing me down. We've been going in Sunday school. Alan Paulson is leading us through a study of Pilgrim's progress. So far, uh, Pilgrim's burden is still on his back. He has not gotten rid of that yet. But if you're familiar with the story, you know that eventually that burden will be taken from his back and his experience will be one of peace. Peace and joy. The burden of sin is gone. The burden of guilt is gone. Being justified by faith we have peace with God. Knowing that my sin has been dealt with is what enables me to have peace with God. So it's good to be able to communicate to that, to those that In all likelihood are not at peace with God. Rather amazing, isn't it? I'm I'm always happy on uh, our prayer meeting nights when Alan Paulson shares with us people that he has shared the gospel with. And he tells about uh, uh, most of these people he brings our attention to don't know anything, know anything but peace. Uh, They're in turmoil, they're in strife. Um, broken health, broken marriages, custody battles, etc., etc., uh, you could add to it. And the world is crying out for a peace that they don't have. Oh, that we might give them that message of peace through the gospel. So that's chapter 5 and verse 1. You might want to add as well another very familiar text, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 is one you should have in your Romans road arsenal, so to speak. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Make sure you have that text in your arsenal as well. So um, Quick review, the Romans road, okay. Um, Let me back up here and just uh, note what we've covered. The sinfulness of man, chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Okay, Um, step number two, the consequence of that. Chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Especially the first part of the verse, following the sinfulness of man. But you'll want to make use of the entire verse. But have that one in your arsenal. Chapter 6, verse 23. Okay, then uh, we add uh, chapter 5 and verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You want that in the arsenal. Make that a part of the Romans road. Okay? Um, Number four, chapter ten. Okay, and let's make it verse thirteen. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So that's the fourth step, Romans ten, verse thirteen. Fifth step Chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you will take those five verses, understand the the analytical captions that they represent, and then be familiar also with that portion we read from chapter 3, verses 20 to 26, and you can In very simple fashion, arm yourself very effectively for being able to communicate the gospel. May God stir our hearts then and help us to bountifully sow the spirit of his word, or the the seed of his word. Let's close then in prayer. Let's all pray. Lord, we thank thee that thou hast made the gospel so plain and so clear that even a child can understand it. We know, Lord, that there are a number of things in thy word that are difficult to be understood, but thou hast made the way of salvation a very simple thing to understand. We pray, Lord, that we will indeed equip ourselves with these verses, and may we find occasions to bountifully sow the good seed of thy word And may we have the privilege, Lord, of bringing in the harvest, for Christ himself has said that the fields are white unto harvest. So hear our prayers and take our thanks for so great salvation. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.